0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, June 15th, being joined by my co-host. So let's welcome Lauren back in. Lauren, good afternoon for you and welcome back. Hi, Kevin. Hey there. Good
1: to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you. Uh, We are going to do a case study today. We're going to talk about anxiety and depression. We'll probably also take some calls. So if calls come in, we'll probably just jump back and forth. This is really informal. But uh, I also, since you and I talk about gardening, you know, a lot or quite a bit when we talk off the air, I thought uh, I was going to do a garden update this morning and then calls started coming in. I thought, you know, I'm going to get to the calls, um, but I thought you and I might just talk about gardening for a little bit.
2: Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to get an update on what's going on over there. I know that the weather hasn't been uh, cooperating.
0: The weather has, you know, I've lived here for, this is our 10th year. Um and i've never seen a season like this our weather is is strange here but it's usually pretty consistent normally by june 1st summer is in full swing for us sometimes may can feel like summer sometimes may still feels like spring but every year we've been here for the past 10 by june 1st we are in our summer weather pattern which is pure blue skies and sunshine no clouds and 75 to 85 degrees and low humidity, like absolutely beautiful gardening conditions. It, it just doesn't get any better. And we will go 90 to hundred days like that. No clouds, no rain. I absolutely love summer's here this year. Um, mm-hmm. Summer has not shown up yet. And we're halfway through June we are still in the 60s most days, lots of clouds, hardly any sunshine, and a lot of rain. So the one thing that grows like crazy right now are weeds and grass, which the two things I don't want to grow. <laughs> uh, and... I'm struggling with vegetables. I have my my grow house. My trailer is so crowded right now and I'm out of lights and I'm out of space because every time I try taking my plants out that I started in the greenhouse and plant them, they just stop growing and the slugs are killing me this year. It's so so wet, I have these little tiny slugs that are the size of a grain of rice, but you'll get five or six of them on one plant, and they will just destroy it. And slugs are one of those things, I talked the other day, that the healthier you keep your plants, the less likely they are to be attacked by bugs and diseases and mold. Mm -hmm. Slugs are the exception. You can have the healthiest plant in the world, and the slugs still eat it. So, and they're mm. one of the harder pests to get rid of. Normally, I don't have to deal with them much because once we go into that dry season, and you know, I use almost all drip irrigation so I don't get everything soaking wet, I don't have to deal with slugs most much throughout the summer, and if I get a little bit of them, it's easy to get rid of. You know you know the best way to get rid of them? No salt. No, because you'd have to find them and put the salt right on them and they come out at night. <laughs> so you either have to go okay. out late at night with a flashlight or early in the morning with a flashlight because once the sun starts coming up, they usually disappear. You, you build them little swimming pools in the ground and fill them with beer. What? Yep. No way. Yeah, take like little um, plastic containers or little bowls and kind of sink them down into the ground so they're kind of ground level like an indoor, an in-ground pool, and then you just fill it with beer. The beer attracts them for some reason. They love the smell of it, but they crawl in there, they get drunk, and they die.
2: Oh, I think I'm going to have to try that. That's the one thing we have tons of, and ours are not those tiny little fives of a rice. You know, ours are several inches
0: long. They're huge. We, we get some of those occasionally too. Those are actually a little easier to deal with. I'd rather deal with one giant slug than, you know, 32 of these little rice sized slugs. Um, but that, that mm-hmm. works. You just like sink it down in the ground, fill it with beer and you'll come out the next morning and you'll have dead, dead slugs in your beer.
2: Interesting. It, another interesting thing is it hasn't been, we haven't had enough rain, at least where I live, and there, we have them anyways. I'll wake up in the morning, and I'll have to dodge like five of
0: them oh boy. in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> try, try the beer trick. You'll be surprised. It works really try. well. The problem for me is I have so much area where they're showing up that, I'd be out there all day long putting these, you know, little pools in and filling them with beer. And so I, I keep hoping the weather is going to shift. And, you know, until then, I'm keeping a lot of my plants inside right now. And i like, I moved them outside today. They'll be, we actually have some sun and blue skies today, but it's not all that hot. So I put them outside, get them acclimated a little bit. But here's the, the new thing for me this year. I did a little bit of this last year. I'm doing a lot of it this year. I am using bugs and bacteria for my garden. Mm. So, like, here's the list of all the bugs I'm using right now. So, I'm either buying these bugs and releasing them into my garden, or I'm planting things that attract these bugs. Um, I'm actually renting bees. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. So, love that. Right now, I'm using two different kinds of worms. So one of the ways you know you have really healthy soil, if you have lots of worms, and I can remember reading that three years ago when I first started my garden out back, I could not find a worm anywhere. You could dig and dig and dig and no worms anywhere. Now, you can't poke your finger into my soil without running into a worm. They are everywhere in the soil. Big, fat, juicy night crawlers and... Every time you stick something in the dirt, you bring up worms, which is awesome. But then I also buy some worms called Alabama red wigglers. And I put those in my compost pile because they do an awesome job of turning food into soil.
2: Mm.
0: Then I have two kinds of bees and they're not honeybees. They are what they call solitary bees. They don't, Live in a hive together, they don't have a queen, they don't make honey, and they don't sting. But they look exactly like bees. They actually have two of them, and one of them's about the size of a honeybee, the other one's smaller. So they are mason bees and leaf cutter bees. And the cool thing about these one leaf cutter bee will pollinate as many flowers as like 400 honeybees. It's it's a crazy number. It's not even close. And I've actually watched videos of why it is. You know, when you watch a honeybee land on a flower, it kind of lands almost, doesn't even land. It kind of hovers there a little bit. It kind of sticks its Mm -hmm. nose and mouth in and gets some of the pollen, and then it flies off. And the next time it lands, it's got a little bit of pollen on it that may pollinate the next flower it lands on. They have videos. It's so cool to watch these leafcutter bees and these mason bees. When you see the center of the flower and it's got all that pollen in, they like belly flop right into the thing and they get the pollen (laughs) all over themselves. And then when they fly to the next flower, they're just pollinating like crazy. So it, it's really kind of cool to watch. And you build little houses for them, and they put a, a, you know, an egg in the little tube. And with this rental company, um, I just send my box back to them in September. They take the boxes apart. They get all the cocoons out of there. They load those cocoons into a block. And then next spring, they'll send me a block full of cocoons again. And I'll put them out in the garden, they'll hatch, they'll go do their things, they'll lay their eggs back in the block, and the cycle continues. Very cool. Very cool. I
2: now, don't know many people doing that. If anything, I know people that do the honeybees here in Florida, but I haven't heard of these leafcutter bees or any of this.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really cool. And like I said, they don't even sting. I mean, you can hold them. They're, you know, not aggressive at all. They don't sting. Um, and they just pollinate like crazy. Um, uh, using ladybugs, those go after a lot of other bugs and eat them. Um, for ladies, these are, they're, uh, they're badass. They're, they're uh, pretty tough characters. They are carnivores, and they can eat a lot of other bugs. I've got uh, praying mantises, because they eat other bugs. I have nematodes, like I just released like 10,000 nematodes, Um, green lace wings, and then I plant some things that attract a certain kind of wasp um, that goes after the cabbage worms. We don't have cabbage worms yet. They won't show up till the weather gets hot. But once they do, I always plant dill all around my cabbage and broccoli and cauliflower, all the brassicas, and that attracts this wasp. And again, this is a wasp that doesn't sting. So it's not a problem having a lot of them around, but they will just totally eat all the cabbage worms. I don't have to do anything. Once these wasps show up, um, the cabbage worms will disappear. So it's pretty cool. So the bugs I was using a little bit last year have really expanded it a lot this year. The other thing that's becoming a big thing in, in gardening, and it's been around for a while in both gardening and farming, but so much more now, um, you know how we talk about, our own health and we talk about our gut bacteria i'm now using a ton of bacteria in my garden so there are specific bacteria you you buy and um sometimes you put it in with the roots when you plant sometimes you cover the seed with it so when i do peas and beans i actually have a powder that's the specific bacteria and you put some water in the powder, you make kind of a sludge, and then you just, you know, coat all your seeds right before you plant them. And these bacteria do very specific things that make your plants grow much, much better.
2: Wow. I didn't know that that was a thing either.
0: That's a, I think it's kind of a new thing. Like I said, I know the peas and beans, they call it an inoculant. I know we've been doing that for quite some time, but now I am just finding Mm -hmm. new and more bacteria. One that I'm using this year, um, somehow it does something to the roots and the roots are able to absorb like five times more water and nutrients, which means you can use a lot less water and nutrients and still get big, healthy plants.
2: Wow. Wow. Pretty cool. Pretty good stuff there. I don't know how you found out about all that, but
0: lots of, you have reading. a lot
2: of good, <laughs> your, uh, your garden ecology is, is right on.
0: Yeah. So, well and here's my other strategy there. There's no doubt. So the whole point of the garden is you're trying to produce food. So I want each plant to produce as much food as possible. The way you do that is you grow a plant as big as you can get it to grow during the growing season and a bigger plant. There are other variables, but a bigger plant, if it's healthy and has all the right nutrients will produce more food than a smaller plant. So your goal during the growing season is to get your plants to grow as big and healthy and as much foliage as you can. And then they should produce more produce. Well, one of the things it takes to grow a plant really big is time. And some plants take a lot of time. Like onions are like 120 days. Some varieties of onions are that long. Some of my fastest growing stuff might mature in like 40 days. There's some, but but that's pretty unusual, 60 to 80. uh, And if you can go longer with like tomatoes and peppers, you can get bigger plants and then more produce. Well, one of the things I can see already, we are six weeks behind weather-wise where we normally are. That's six weeks that I've had very limited growth, uh, except on the plants I have under the lights. So I know it's going to be a shorter growing season than normal. I'm not going to be able to get plants as big as I normally do. So to make up for that, I'm just going to plant more. You know, instead of 20 tomato plants, I might plant 60 this year. I've got them going in the greenhouse. You know, seeds are cheap, and I have everything I need to grow from seed. So since I can't really do much outside, I've been maximizing my inside, and I'll just put out a lot more plants because they won't have time to get as big, so I'll just need more plants to produce the same amount of produce. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting year, but I'm just fascinated by, you know, all of this regenerative and using the bugs and the bacteria, no commercial fertilizers, no chemicals, no nothing in the garden at all. Everything is completely natural. And I'm just amazed at how well this stuff really works.
2: Yeah, I bet. But I mean, so question. Last year, so you're six weeks behind with the weather, but do you feel like it's just starting later? Like this is a trend? Because I always seem to think that, you know, like last spring seemed to last a little longer. This one did as well. I'm wondering if it's just a trend and then it's kind of just shifting so it'll, no see know, for us, last longer.
0: For us, last year was the opposite. We had a really strange year last year, but it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. We started getting warm, sunny weather in April last year, early April. And I was harvesting peas last year by the end of April, beginning of May. I don't have a pea anywhere yet. We're that far behind. And last year... We normally do not get really extreme hot weather. 90s unusual for us. 100 is almost unheard of. Last, and if we have it, it's probably going to be in July or August. Last year in May, we had three or four days over a hundred degrees in May. Broke all kinds of records. Wow. Yeah, last year my struggle was I had a good long season, lots of sunshine. My struggle last year was getting a hundred degree temperature so early, I got a lot of heat damage on some of my plants early on, and it was hard to get them to recover from that.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, now I. You know, now I start to think about, so for me, this is a hobby. I love doing it. I think there are so many benefits from doing this. I love all the food I get out of the garden, and I love preserving and canning. And But I don't need to do this to save money. Um, I do it for all of the other benefits, um, and I'm not worried if my crop isn't big enough. It's not like I'm going to go hungry. But you start to think. When, you know, when we depended on small family farms and gardens to eat, the weather's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And you just you just have zero control over it. You have to figure out how to make up for it.
2: Yeah, that's
0: true. I don't think the farmer has, uh, farmer has it easy. <laughs> no. That's no, for it, sure. You know, and, and what we've done, and I kind of understand we did it, We did it mostly for cost but you know it also gives us some food security we have figured out how to grow plants in really bad conditions but we tend to do it with a lot of chemicals and you know i I just don't want to do that i i and what you find is that that does work on a big scale but if you do all this regenerative gardening or farming correctly once you get your system down then even the weather doesn't have as much of an impact. It's certainly going to have an impact, but it it's not as much, not even close. Your plants can do really well in pretty bad conditions once you've got all these things in place.
2: Yeah. There's um, a show that we just started watching not too long ago. It's called Clarkson's Farm. It's a, a British television documentary series, and, this guy, Jeremy Clarkson, I guess he's known for, like, as a journalist for, like, um, I don't know, I guess, like, he's really into cars, so, like, motor vehicles, and he owns a farm, and he decided during the pandemic that he was, he wanted to take over the farm and wanted to do everything on his own, and it is, he, he definitely struggles, and it's quite interesting <laughs> to see his struggles, and, you know, he he's so into vehicles that he gets the Lamborghini tractor or this oh, enormous tractor. And that's, <laughs> everyone's like, Oh, that's quite the tractor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he, uh, then he decided he wanted to get a bunch of sheep and he started raising sheep and he's just kind of realizing slowly, but surely how much he's, you know, how much work it is and how little benefit it is because he's just, You know, late in sowing the seeds, he's, you know, all of these things are up against him. and It really makes you realize that, you know, farmers don't have it very easy and they work very long days.
0: It's it's tough and a lot of things can go wrong. I mean, I'm doing this on a really, really small scale compared to, you know, a, a regenerative farm. But it's all the same principles I'm doing. And it's funny that you bring up that show. It's not like that's some, you know, big popular show or anything. I just watched the first episode of that a couple of weeks ago.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it. It's, actually, it's, <laughs> it's funny, too. Of, it's
0: yeah, it's a it's <laughs> yeah. a it's a great show. And it, it it's. It's true. I mean, this is the same kind of stuff I wake up and, you know, think about in my garden every day. What's going on? The season's so short. I've got all this rain. I've got these bugs. What the hell am I going to do? And you start to realize there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, But the, the alternative that, you know, we've come up with is this horrible agriculture system. And the way we raise food is just awful.
2: Yeah, that's true. It truly is. Yeah. We've gone backwards instead of getting, you know, more progressive in the whole farming, farming industry. You know, we, we don't, we, I hardly see local, local food, you know, local produce. Right. But the more people can get out and support their local farmers do so, because it's not easy for them. It's really difficult.
0: Yeah. And I, I still really encourage people to think about even, even a really, really small home garden. just just try it just Mm -hmm. you you may find out you like it you may expand doing it Um, one of the things I'm experimenting with a lot this year and again I talked about I want to the ability to have more plants this year because I don't think I'm going to get as much out of each plant so one of the things I'm doing to expand is I'm doing a lot of container gardening even though I have a big garden I have tons of raised beds well containers help me add even more space Because now I don't need dirt Mm -hmm. in the ground. I can, if I have a place that's gravel or a driveway or concrete or bad dirt or whatever, um, I'm experimenting with fabric pots. Fabric grow pots work awesome. Um, I've got some of those grow boxes. I've also, um, I didn't do it this year, but last year, did I talk to you last year about growing in hay bales? No. No. That worked. How do you do that? That worked so good last year. I was just blown away. Um, the only reason I didn't do it this year is you have to start processing your hay bales three weeks to a month ahead of time. And I wasn't here to do it. Mm-hmm. By the time I got here, it was just too late. But y- you could grow a garden on your driveway with hay bales. So what you do is you get a hay bale or straw, either one, and you you start putting, you use a straight nitrogen fertilizer, just pure nitrogen fertilizer, and you kind of saturate the hay bales with this nitrogen fertilizer, and then you soak them. And you do that like every other day for three weeks. And what that does is that pure nitrogen starts to break down um, the hay in the straw and starts to compost it. So then when it's time to plant, you dig a little hole out of the straw, just like you would dig in the ground. And I fill that little hole with some potting soil. And that's just to get the plant started or the seed started. You can even put seeds right into the little hole with the dirt in it. And then as the plants grow, that hay and straw starts to compost all year. And that's kind of what feeds the plant. And the, the, the roots will grow right out through the straw. And I had some of my best plants last year. So I would, I test things. So I would, I had a specific plant growing in a hay bale. I had that same plant growing in the ground. I had it growing in a grow box. And I had the same kind of plant in a planter. And I see which one does better. And across the board, the hay bale worked better every single time.
2: Wow, because of all that compost you're creating ahead of time, huh?
0: Yeah, it, it like feeds the plant the whole year long, the whole season long. It keeps them up off the ground so I didn't have as many bugs. And then when you're done, those hay bales are awesome compost. I just spread them all over the ground for the winter and they compost all winter long. So growing in hay bales is pretty cool. So this year I've got fabric pots, I've got grow boxes. Uh, I don't have any hay bales this year, but I did last year, and that allows me to expand my garden now and plant in more areas so I can get more plants going because I know it's going to be a short season. But I encourage people, even if, if you have any place around your house that gets at least six hours of sun, try some container gardening. It actually, it's easier. It, it, You don't get as many bugs. You don't get as many diseases. Almost everything that hurts our plants comes up out of the ground and out of the soil. And when you do container gardening, mm-hmm. you minimize a lot of that.
2: Yeah, question about, I have a question. So I do have a water tower garden, which is great. Um, I just cleaned it up and made sure it was level last weekend. So it's ready for plants. I actually have to go pick up some, some seedlings here, hopefully today sometime, but the thing is, I get a lot of um, snails with the shell, so would the same beer thing you think work for snails, like if I put beer around it, maybe the slugs and the snails both will go and get trapped in it?
0: Um, you know what? I'm going to look real quick on, uh, I have a gardening site that I absolutely love. I have zero snails. I have never seen a snail in my garden. Um, here Mm. are the 10 things that they recommend. Um, here's the one that we often forget. And sometimes for pests like this, it really does work best. Um, you just walk through the garden every day and just grab them with your hand and get rid of them. That is one of the ways. Do you feel bad doing that? (laughs) Well, you don't have to kill them. You could relocate them. I know.
2: That's what I've been doing. I've been, when I do get them, I'll put them in our little, you know, yard trash bin. At least they'll, you know, whatever happens to them in the end is, you know, their destiny, but at least they're, they're eating well before they get to their end.
0: Yeah, um... Some of the things that, um, they don't like garlic. So whatever plants they're attacking, maybe you plant some garlic around those plants. Um, salt water, orange peels, um. chicken, egg shells, coffee powder. Um, let me see. Uh, okay. You need some, uh, You need some chickens and ducks in your garden.
2: (laughs) Oh, goodness.
0: Chickens and ducks will eat the snails.
2: Well, we do get ducks this time of the year. They like to hang out in the pool. Um, The dog does not appreciate it. (laughs) It's his territory, so he, he goes a little crazy. But I I did notice them kind of walking around the garden and picking at things. And I was wondering what they were picking at. But maybe they did eat some of the snails.
0: They may be able to uh, help you then. They might be eating some of the snails. You can just take, and you should have plenty of these. You're in Florida. Just spread orange peels all around on the ground where you see them. That tends to keep them away from your plants.
2: There you go. That's a good idea, especially with this cankered orange
0: tree. Also yeah. take um, eggshells and just crush up the eggshells and spread them around the base of the plant. That'll keep the snails from crawling up on them. Oh. It actually, the, the eggshell, if the snail tries to crawl across the eggshell, it actually cuts them. Oh, no way.
2: Okay you're making me feel bad again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh no. You got to realize the garden is all out war. Something is going to die. You just can't help it. This is how we grow food. Something is going to die. I just want to make sure I choose what dies and what lives. I get to play God in the garden.
2: Yeah, that's true. That is true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. You know, the aphids well, are either going to eat my plants or my ladybugs are going to eat the aphids. Something's going to die, but I'm going to choose what it's going to be.
2: Yeah, like, I like that. We, um, we had our yard, um, I don't want to say the word sprayed, but we had to spray for some bugs. We had a little ant problem going on. And I have to tell you, we were pretty devastated with the results because overnight after they sprayed, all the roaches came up dead. They were everywhere. Then I found a dead monarch today in the garden. I don't, I'm, I'm really hoping that has nothing to do with the, the spraying of the ants. And I feel like I don't see as many as many um, lizards, which we love the lizards oh, because yeah. they, you know, they eat a bunch of things. right. Yeah, and I told them that I, the ecology of the garden was really important, and I didn't want to affect. You know, I didn't want to have any negative effects on, you know, the different species of, of little animals that are right. keeping the other bugs away.
0: Right. Yeah, it, you so know. Now I'm
2: wondering. <laughs> those
0: those kinds of you know methods of getting rid of stuff are kind of like last ditch you know the the more natural you can do all this stuff the better everything works because you're right i have to believe that when they come in and start spraying that stuff it has to affect a lot of things
2: yeah i think it did we were pretty disappointed because we were you know i spoke to the the guy before he sprayed and i was pretty clear that we didn't want to you know like a lot of toxins out there because you know we walk around barefoot all the time. The dog runs around there and he's low to the ground and, you know, we just like to have all of the, you know, the little creatures. We we love the critters. And, you know, he kind of, you know, he assured me that it was fine, but I just, I don't think they really, they really understand, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the degree
1: of...
0: Yeah, it, it has an yeah. impact. It might might not wipe out the, you know, you know, the entire population, and that's probably what they're going by. Oh no, you can spray this stuff. There'll still be some, <laughs> some of those bugs around. But uh, you know, we want lots of the good beneficial bugs. I mean, that's really what I'm working <laughs> on now. I don't want to have to keep buying bugs. And I, you know, I don't want to have to keep buying compost. So I'm now making all my own compost. And my next project is to figure out, is there a way that I could build an environment where every year these beneficial bugs just show up on their own? And, and I, I'm getting closer mm-hmm. and closer all the time. Like I said, the worms, I don't buy worms anymore. You know, in the beginning I did. Um, now I don't need to, I, the, the population of worms just keeps growing and growing because I have a good environment for them. I don't need to buy those wasps like I used to, because now I know which plants to plant that brings them back. Um, you know, and it, it's mm-hmm. the, the mason bees and the leaf cutter bees. I'm starting to understand now how I could do that myself. they, what this company does that really makes this work a lot better is every year you should take apart those, those blocks where they're, you know, making their cocoons and clean them out because you get predators in there and they will kill all of your bees before they get to hatch for the year. That's what this company does, but I can do that myself. So at some point I'll probably stop renting those bees and I'll just start growing my own bees every year.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good goal. That you don't, you know, you're kind of placing them where they need to be in hopes that they will, that will stay. You know, for the long run. That's a, I think that's a good method.
0: Yeah, create the environment where you draw in the bugs that you want. Um, I never used mm-hmm. to plant a lot of flowers. You know, it, it typically in the spring I'm planting vegetables in the garden and getting the garden ready. Lisa's planting flowers, all uh, you know, on the other side of the house because that's where she loves to work. Well, now I realize all those flowers need to be in the garden too. We we spread flowers out all through the garden and plant them, you know, amongst all the other plants because it's the flowers that bring in all the pow- pollinators. Hmm. You know, I I saw a post wow. today. And it's not that I disagree with it, but it's not the best way. The post said, um, and there are groups that are starting these kind of things in, in, you know, small towns and neighborhoods, and I'm seeing more of this and I love it. But the post was, we should all like in a neighborhood or a community grow a lot of one crop and then we can trade and share with each other. That's not a bad idea, and at least people are thinking about growing their own food and being a little more sufficient, uh, self-sufficient, but that's not the best way. That's like monocropping, and that's not natural. Everybody that's growing food mm-hmm. should be growing lots and lots of different plants, not one plant, and then sharing. Everybody should be growing all of these plants. You look in nature and you just don't see a whole field of one plant in nature. That doesn't happen. And and it doesn't work very well. That's when you start getting these diseases and these bugs that can wipe out an entire crop in a couple of days because of that practice of monocropping. You know, a lot of my garden doesn't even look like the traditional garden with perfect straight rows. And I do some of that, but a lot of my garden is actually what we refer to as a chaos garden. You've got stuff growing, strawberries growing right next to, um, you know, dill or oregano or something else because the plants are beneficial to each other.
4: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, you know, they, they work together. Some plants protect other plants. Some of them keep certain, you know, pests off. Some of them provide shade. Some of them fix nutrients, that the other one is taking up. Yep. So you've got yeah. a lot going on there.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what? It, all we really need to do is mimic nature. That, that's all we're doing with all mm-hmm. of this garden. We're just mimicking nature. We're just using, you know, the same thing nature uses to keep all the plants healthy and the bugs and the animals happy. And yes, something's always going to eat something. Um, but you can really manage this so much better once you understand all these techniques. Definitely. All right. So I don't even know if we're going to get to our case study today. What do you say we take some calls?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right. We'll see if we have time. We might get to it. If not, we'll talk to people. Uh, i like the casual approach today. Uh, Frank in Pennsylvania. Welcome. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Good. What can we help you with today?
5: Yeah, and the insects you're releasing into your garden, I know you have um, raised beds. Do you just centrally locate them and they just spread out uh, to each of your beds or do you uh, put them, you know, some in each bed?
0: You know, I tend to kind of hand place the bugs where they're needed the most. And the one really good example of this is ladybugs. If you just let the ladybugs go into the garden, there's a chance they won't find the aphids. And if they don't find them soon enough, they'll fly off and they'll go look for food. So I tend to, when I'm getting ready to release bugs, I tend to go look for their food. Like I go find the plants that already have some aphids on them and I release the ladybugs okay. right, you know, maybe a handful of ladybugs right into that area where I see a lot of aphids. Then I might go over to another bed, and if I can find some, you know, bugs over there that they like to eat, I'll release some there. So I do try to kind of really get specific about where um, – you know, the bugs go where you place certain plants. I, you know, I like dill around the brassicas. Um, the bee houses should be put in certain places. So they're not too far away from things that are flowering. Uh, for the, for the mason okay. bees and the leaf. Well, for the mason bees, you actually have, they have to have a source of clay. Cause that's what they plug up their holes with. Uh-huh. And if, if they don't have any clay available, they won't lay that egg. So I actually buy clay. I dig a little hole near their house and I fill the hole with clay. Then they have what they need to build their little cocoons and fill the tubes. So now I, I get, I, I don't just randomly let stuff go. I, I get pretty hands-on and get in there and you know get specific about where I put them.
5: Right. One other question. You say you grow a lot of potatoes and onions and garlic. Now, do you have a root cellar or how do you store all this you know, um, and they'll, well, they use it all.
0: Yeah. So garlic is actually pretty simple. Um, garlic will last just about a year if you're growing the right varieties. Um, soft neck tends to store even longer. Um, I like a lot of hard neck garlic, but I've even gotten hard neck garlic to last a year and You cure your garlic. So when you pull it out of the ground, I hang it up outside, out of the sun. Um, We have almost perfect conditions here in the summertime. Um, Slightly hot, low humidity. The garlic cures beautifully. And I do have a basement, not a root cellar. I have like a finished basement, really. But it stays cool enough down there that I just, I get uh, big netting because I, I tend to store like a hundred to 150 heads of garlic a year, but I still have garlic from last year. Uh, That's still good. So if you grow the right varieties of garlic, you cure it right. Garlic's actually pretty easy. Onions the same way. Okay. You, you can look up Mm. which varieties of onions store the longest. And there are varieties of onions that will store for a full year. Same as with garlic. You just cure them outside properly. Keep them in a cool, dark place like a basement. They last a year. Uh, Potatoes, I actually have several methods of preserving potatoes. Um, If you go to healthytribe.com, you can see I grow my potatoes in in bags, in fabric bags, because you can grow an awful lot of potatoes in a bag. And at the end of the season, they're really easy. You just dump out the whole bag and there's your potatoes. But... Last year, I actually took three of those bags, and at the end of the season, I didn't do anything to them. I just let the top of the plants die off like they do, and it looks like you just have a bag full of dirt. This spring, I went out, and I was harvesting potatoes from last year. They store right in the dirt all winter long, and they're perfect. So that's- Just
5: keep them in, like... Right I would be it would they would freeze. So I could just put them in the garage. Yeah, it's you like could 50 keep them, in there in the wintertime.
0: Yeah, you could keep them in the dirt, just move the the bags into the garage so they don't freeze. Right. That would be perfect. Okay. Um, the other thing I do, okay, i I dice the potatoes up when they're fresh, and then I flash freeze them. So to flash freeze, you you take the diced potatoes, you spread them out on big sheet pans and stick them in the freezer till they freeze. Then you can take them off the sheet pan and put them in like uh, containers and keep them in the freezer. They do awesome. You just open them up. They're already diced. Make hash browns, whatever, out of them. Um, and I also can some potatoes to uh, preserve
5: them. Yeah, I want to do that this year. I told my wife that. So, super. Well, thanks for your help.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah. So you actually, the, um, the three things you asked about potatoes, garlic, and onions are some of the easiest things to preserve and store for a year. So I really don't buy, I haven't bought garlic in years. I'm hoping this year I'm going to grow enough onions. Um, I only made it about six months with my onions last year. I didn't grow enough. So this year, I have 400 onion plants, I think, that should be enough uh, to get me through a year. Uh, and potatoes, I have potatoes everywhere, and they, they store well, I still have potatoes from last year. Let's, uh, Lauren, any thoughts on any of that?
2: No, I mean, I just don't really have the, you know, experience in the garden yet, so you're inspiring me.
0: Good, good. Love that. Let's uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Laura Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we help you with today?
1: Well, I wanted to let you know I I did your um, questionnaire about a year and a half, two years ago, and when I uh
0: oh, Laura Lee. Are you still there? Oh boy. Uh, I see the call. I'm not hearing anything. Brittany, are you still hearing me? Make sure the problem's not on my end.
2: I can hear you, but.
0: Well, Lauren can and Brittany can. Um, Brittany, I am going to put Laura Lee back in the queue and. Oh, Angie. Maybe. I, yeah. Okay. Um, And Brittany. Um, I'm going to put her back in the queue, see if you can figure out. I'll take another call while we're working on that one. We're going to go to Ohio. Uh, John, welcome to the program.
4: Hi. Um, Unfortunately, my question is not about gardening. (laughs) That's okay. We're Um, we're taking any calls today. Okay. Okay. Um, So I had a colonoscopy last Monday, and I eat a mostly carnivore diet. And the doctor said I had polyps and that I needed to come back in three years in order to make sure that I'm not getting colon cancer and that I need to decrease the consumption of the amount of meat I eat.
0: I disagree. <laughs> There's no evidence okay, that please. eating meat causes um, colon polyps. None.
4: Okay. Can these polyps really turn into colon cancer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. He, what, is I mean, I he, get... he is correct about that. He is correct about that. But I am not a big fan of colonoscopies. They're dangerous. They can cause damage. If you are concerned about colon cancer, I would rather see you do the uh, stool test. It's, a, it's actually more accurate, and it's not invasive, and there's no danger to it.
4: Okay, well it was uh, I, yeah, I was it was the first time I ever had one, and I, and I actually wasn't planning on ever getting another one um, until he told me about these power things, and that I needed to have another one in three years, but I, I didn't know, so there, instead of getting another
0: colonoscopy, I can ask him just to do a, a test. Uh, you you don't even have to ask the doctor. you can get these at home. Or maybe they have to be prescribed by by a doctor. I'm not sure. Um, Boy, I know one of the names and I'm just drawing a blank on it right now, but you can look it up pretty easily. Look up, uh, you know, well, let me just do it for you right now. Um, Colon cancer screening test.
4: John,
2: Um, I have a question. What, what was the whole reason for the colonoscopy?
0: Good question.
4: Uh, It was just, doctor just said you know when i that he wanted to have a colonoscopy cuz i was in my 50s so okay so it, was it wasn't because you had
2: yeah you it wasn't because you had any bleeding or anything like that going on or pain or anything
0: no okay um One of the other things, anytime people ask me about what we call medical screenings, and that's what this is, the difference between a medical test and a medical screening. We do tests when we have symptoms or we think something is wrong and we go look for it. Screenings, we have no, and that's what Lauren was just asking, no symptoms, no real reason other than some doctor said, you're this magic number now and you should do this screening. I am not a big fan of screenings. Um, for a lot mm-hmm. of reasons, we could do hours on this topic. There's a really good book. And I highly encourage anybody that is considering any kind of medical screening to go read this book first. It's called Overdiagnosed by Gilbert Welch. Um, So I I go read that book. It's just it's eye opening and it's way too much information. I'm not finding. um, Oh wait a minute. Here we go. Maybe I've got them here. Um, Oh, I actually like this. Everly Well, the company we use for a lot of testing. I didn't realize they had one of these screening tests. Um, Yeah. They have Everly Well has a colon cancer screening that you do at home. It's $37. You just buy the kit. You do the sample at home. You mail it back. They give you your results. If you are worried about colon cancer, I would much rather see somebody do this rather than a colonoscopy.
4: Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. because Yeah, I am a little concerned because I've had, I've had cancer. I had uh, tonsil cancer three or four years ago
0: yeah so and I, I would exactly I would recommend you just do the um, the DNA screening tests at home. Okay
4: all right that will answer, that answer my questions. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome, thanks for the call. Uh, let's try Laura Lee again. Are you with us this time? Yes, I am. There you are. now I can hear you. I'm glad we saved that call. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, Well, you know, Kevin, I did your questionnaire about a year and a half to two years ago now. And uh, I actually am 18 months from having my last cancer treatment. And I started following the NDK. Um, My son is a truck driver listened to you all the time and was telling me about it. And I cut out the grains completely. And found out that I actually have a reaction to grains because uh, I did not realize chamomile is also a grain. And I was waking up stuffed up so bad that I couldn't hardly breathe. Wow. So I don't, I don't do any grains anymore Good. because of that. Um, I did my last report from my doctors. I showed no signs of cancer. Right now I have um, had cervical cancer. And, um, that is, you know, um, a virus that causes that. Right. But I asked my doctors, you know, what can I do? So I don't get, can- you know, get it again right. or get another cancer. And they said, one thing to do is to cut out the high fructose corn syrup. Because they said they don't know why this happens, but you your you're, you're cells go bonkers
0: on it yeah so there are there are specific cancers that feed on sugar only so we know that the cells in our body can produce energy from fat or sugar Mm -hmm. both And we know Uh that we're healthier when we're using fat as our energy source. But one of the other benefits is that sometimes eating really, really low carbohydrate, because if we're eating low carbohydrate, obviously high fructose corn syrup is off the menu. It's low, it's pure carbs. So when we eat very low carb, sometimes we're just able to starve out some of those cancers that have to have sugar to survive
1: mhm and um and and also to go back as natural of a diet as you possibly can
0: absolutely <laughs> which, I, I couldn't i don't often I, agree with traditional doctors but that they gave you really good advice
1: yeah and um I, I'll tell you I have nothing but um my, my cancer teams that I had were absolutely fantastic. Awesome. And, um, and not only that, but if people are wondering about the NDK and, and what you're talking about, it you works. Know, and like I was raised on the farm when I was younger and we grew and grew our 99% of our food. We raised our cows, our milk cow, our beef cows, all of that and we use natural fertilizer and it never hurt us at all
0: (laughs) exactly you know that is that that is such a great start health-wise to you know to be able to live like that and that's what we need to get back to and that's what we're talking about more and there there is just no doubt anymore that our food supply is killing us the, the the traditional food supply is killing us. The traditional medical system, for the most part, is killing us. And the farther you can right. stay away from those two things, the healthier you're going to be.
1: Right. And um, but I wanted to let you know that that I that I have been following that, and I've been following it now for a year and a half to two years. Awesome. And if anybody starts it, yes, it is challenging at first. It is is it there is. are things that are hard, yep. uh, but once you get going on it and really get into it and you've been on it for a while then it gets to be a much easier yes and I find like I'm I've been experimenting with almond flour coconut flour Excellent. um, and you know all kinds of flours and it, you know it's there's a little bit of different taste but once you once you get used to it it's pretty darn good.
0: I have actually found that certain things that you bake, um, muffins, scones, biscuits, um, Mm -hmm. even cookies, and you know, we're not going to do a lot of that. When we do them, they're going to be very, very low sugar. They're going to be better sources of sweeteners like maple syrup. But I have found that on those types of baked goods, biscuits, scones, um, cookies, muffins, (laughs) They actually come out better with almond flour once mm-hmm. you learn the right recipes and learn how to cook them. I think they're way better. Brownies. I make almond wow. flour brownies yep. that are just incredible.
1: Mm hmm. Well, and, and for substitute, I use pure raw honey.
0: Yes, that's an awesome substitute. Yep.
1: And that, and that also, because I get it basically locally. From you know from the area that we have all the has all the different pollens in it that also helps me with my allergies.
0: Yep. Yeah, it, it's like getting uh, and, yeah, it's like getting little inoculations every time you eat the honey, you get a little bit of that pollen, and your body yeah. starts to learn how to deal with it. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Right. Right. So if anybody out there has been wondering about it, it does work, and I feel hundred percent better, and I got good reports this last time that i showing no signs
0: of cancer at all so laura lee let me ask you something because you said that your son was the truck driver he was the one that listened to the show came to you with this information one of the biggest things we struggle with on the show we've struggled with it since the day we started talking about health people listen they try these things they work they get really healthy and then they want to share them with people around them—people they love, their family, their friends. We get so excited; we actually can become really annoying. Um, I, I get it, and I try—I try not to be annoying with this stuff. What when when your son first came to you? Were you skeptical? Were you did you accept it right away? How did that all go?
1: Um. Actually, I started looking at um, YouTube at some of your postings, and and I started listening to you, and we we talked a lot about it. But because of being raised on a farm and and doing all this stuff, it made a sense to me.
0: Okay. And I've
1: had yeah. allergies that I've had to deal with all my life, so it was. You know, thinking about it, I thought about it for a little while and I thought, you know what, they got that questionnaire, I'm gonna do it. It was like I need to change um and the cancer is what really spurred me on too because I, I have a lot of to do yet. I'm not ready to, to be six foot under the ground. <laughs> right. I have lots of living to go. Excellent.
0: Excellent. <laughs>
1: and and I plan on and I plan on doing that. So
0: Fantastic. Well, thank um, you so much for your feedback.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Just keep doing what you're doing and don't let any of those other yahoos out there <laughs> destroy your, what you're doing because it works. <laughs>
0: well, th- thank you for that. I really do appreciate it. Um, Lauren.
2: Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. It really is encouraging for other people out there that either haven't taken the steps you know, to do a discovery call and, and the NutriQ and, You know, there are so many stories like this and we'll hopefully in the future we'll have, you know, some more people who can share their their individual stories as well.
0: You know, I I, going back to something she mentioned in that call. I know you're a big foodie, you're a trained chef, you create recipes, you do all kinds of crazy stuff with food. Have you done much with the um, baking and all these alternative flours?
2: No, you know what? If you are a chef of any sort, which I'm not, I would never consider myself a chef. But um, well, you're trained as one. You are. I mean, you know, a little bit, but you know, I'm not like a full chef. And it's interesting; they divide you up in culinary school. You are either a baker or you're a chef. So they don't typically. And if you you start asking people if they cook. More times out of not, you'll, someone will say, oh, I bake or, oh, I cook, but no, I can't bake. Because when it comes to cooking, if you're, if, you know, you have any cooking skills whatsoever, typically, you're not following the recipe. When it comes to baking, you have to have, like, there's no room for error. You (laughs) kind of have to follow, like, very specific guidelines and measurements.
1: So,
2: Baking to me
0: has never been fun. You know, it's funny that that's your answer because that's my answer. I don't bake. (laughs) I cook and I don't follow recipes and I don't measure anything. And then I go to bake something and I'm like totally lost. Like, what the hell? I really have to measure a quarter teaspoon of something. Um, (laughs) So... When I say, you know, I've played around with, you know, some the almond flour, for some reason, and it's still the same way, you still have to measure things. I don't mind it so much, and and I don't do a ton of baking. Actually, if we're, you know, Lisa does far more baking than I do. But I do more baking now than I used to with almond flour and, and some of these other flours. And like I said, biscuits and scones, they actually come out better. I mean, they're incredible. And I just have some really simple recipes for biscuits or scones that I'll do. Or I can make, you know, a pizza crust from scratch with, with almond flour and some of the other flour. So I don't do a ton of baking. And, and you're right. At culinary school, you either go through a baking program or you go through a cooking program. <laughs> when you talk to people, they either do one or the other. Every now and then you find somebody that does a lot of both. But that's pretty rare.
2: It is. It's very rare, and I mean, I I guess the only thing that I've dabbled in within you know in the baking kind of you know realm of things is I was very interested, and in, I used to make my own sourdough bread. Yeah, and I loved it.
0: Yeah, but if,
2: that's again, that is measuring it to a tea, <laughs> and the timing is exact. I mean. It doesn't get more, you know. You're right. More, you have to be so consistent.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) and it's not very forgiving. You can make some little mistakes, and the end product is inedible.
2: Exactly. You know, with cooking,
0: (laughs) even even when I totally screw something up in cooking, many times I can figure out a way to save it.
2: Yes. Yes, you're right. But when it comes to baking, oh, yeah. everything is like, you know, you, you prepare it all and then you just throw it in the oven and you hope for the you best. Hope. <laughs> so there's no like intervention. <laughs> That's
0: right. That's right. You know, the easiest, the most forgiving food, I think, on the planet. If you want to learn how to cook and you're worried about screwing something up, start with soup. Mm. soup is so easy to idea. fix if you screw it up <laughs> and let's say you get it too salty we'll just add more of everything except salt and then you'll have more soup and In it back. won't be as salty it, it is so easy to <laughs> fix soup but sometimes sometimes i've made enough mistakes that by the time i fix it i end up with five gallons of soup
2: <laughs> oh that's great I mean, basically, you just add water or cream, whatever the liquid base is. You
0: know? Just Yeah, just add more and keep going. You know, if you got too yep. strong of a flavor with one thing, just add more of everything else. So soup is like the easiest <laughs> thing to fix.
2: Soup is easy. And you know, the great thing about soup is if you already have your bone broth made, oh, you can make so many types of soups with a with a bone broth base, you know? Quickly, too. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, real quick. Yeah. And super flavorful, like with, you know, layer upon layer of flavors.
0: Yeah, you know. you know. You always hear about, you know, grandmothers spending all day making chicken soup. You know, they start with a raw chicken, and they, you know, Mm. boil the chicken to make a, a broth or a stock. Then they start making the soup from the... In today's world, if you grab a rotisserie chicken from the grocery store and some of our Lona Life bone broth, you can have awesome chicken soup in about 20 minutes. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Very um, true. true. Let's grab another call. We're going to go to North Dakota. John, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, Kevin. I just had a thought when you said you put bacteria in the garden. Uh, what about taking and picking up, you know, not the A2 milk and everything? What about tr- making it into some yogurt to put over the seeds? Doubling your amount of bacteria per plant.
0: I have no idea if that would work or not. It's an interesting thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just thought
3: of that you're talking bacteria well we use the bacteria to start the yogurt. no know, thought that might you know
0: yeah that's an interesting thought maybe i'll do maybe i'll do a little digging and see if there's anything to that i can tell you the the bacteria absolutely works i've tested this i've done you know, one row right. of peas with it, one without, one with, one without. Consistently, they mm-hmm. always grow better when you inoculate the the um, seeds before you plant them. That's an interesting thought about trying to multiply that bacteria.
3: Yeah, I just you know take one little scoop of yogurt, put it on top of the seed.
0: I, I should, if I, I, if I attempt this, I should probably make sure I don't get my yogurt strains mixed up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. (laughs) But you know, don't necessarily have to use the uh, Alexander milk on that.
0: Yeah. I don't think I would uh, use any, yeah, I wouldn't use anything expensive if I attempt this one. Right. All right, that's the only comment I had. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's go to Illinois, Joe. Welcome to the program.
6: Hey, Kevin. A uh, little quick history. I started listening to you in November of 2020, and I was uh, 400 pounds. And then by January, I was went tied my shoes and got winded, and so I decided to drink your Kool Aid, figuratively speaking yeah yeah and then, uh the next year i lost <laughs> the next year year i lost over hundred and twenty pounds i'm done uh, uh but wow
0: a hundred and twenty yeah, uh, pounds congratulations that's incredible
6: uh, That is. But I'm, I'm floating around two eighty to two ninety right now and uh i just know i i've gone carnivore i've tried everything except the e word and um I just, I'm, I'm stuck there at that 280, 290.
0: How long have you been stuck there? Uh, six six to eight months, I'd say. Ooh, okay. I was going to say, sometimes we, we see people get stuck for maybe a month, and then it kind of breaks. Six months, though, we need to address that. Something is still going wrong. Um, do you test your own blood sugar? No. Nah. I would start. No, I don't.
6: I've never tested my blood sugar. I don't have any i don't eat any sugar at all just i just uh meat and veggies and that's
0: well but that's but, it but um, hold on what what was the highest weight that you peaked at
6: uh about four four twenty
0: okay so when you got to four twenty you i have to believe you were eating massive amounts of carbohydrates oh yeah okay i, I was it, i right. was eating
6: i mean i i was snacking in my truck like uh big bags of Doritos.
0: Yeah. So
6: what big bags of uh,
3: M&Ms.
0: So what's possible is, you know, we talk about the idea of, do you understand the difference between a type one diabetic and a type two? Yeah. Okay.
6: Type one is, uh, it's, it's, it's natural. Type two is based off a diet.
0: That's, that's one way type two, the pancreas is damaged and it stops producing insulin in type one. That's a big, big difference from type 2. But now what we are seeing, the standard American diet is so poor that we started to turn type 2s into type 1s, and we actually call it type 1.5 because we've overworked the pancreas so much over years of a poor diet that it doesn't produce as much insulin as it used to. So even somebody like you're saying, I'm not eating any sugar anymore, very low carbohydrates. You did lose weight, so we know it was working, but it could be that your pancreas is a little worn out. And the quickest way for us to test that is to look at, you know, a couple weeks of blood sugar testing. So you can go to any any drug store, many grocery stores, Walmart, wherever. You can pick up a a blood sugar meter for 30 or 40 bucks. Um, I really recommend you go to our store and get a Keto Mojo because you'd be able to test both blood sugar and blood ketones which will tell us even more. But if you were to do that, and then I could look over your results after a couple of weeks, we, we will probably find that you're not producing enough insulin right now. You could go do, you could go to a lab and do a C peptide test. And we could tell by that, but it's cheaper and easier just to monitor your blood sugar for a couple weeks. And I could probably figure it out from that. Um, and then there are some things we could do to address that. And also um, we would be able to see in there whether or not you are getting blood sugar spikes because of stress. And my guess is that you are.
6: Okay. Uh, one other quick question. Are you still uh, giving out uh, yogurt samples to, to start your own? Uh,
0: I, yeah, like you were doing before. I will have to ask Angie or um, Brittany or whoever's listening if they know. I'm not sure if we have any left in the warehouse or not. I know we bought a bunch in the beginning, and we said when it's gone, it's gone. And I think Lisa did reorder some because so many people wanted it. But uh, I'll have to wait and see. Or you could call uh, TribeCare. Or just chat with them on the website and see if they have it. Um, somebody may answer me before the end of the show today, and I'll, oh, looks like somebody just did. Um, yes, yes, we do still have some in the warehouse.
6: Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll do that and uh, get back to you.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for the call. I look forward to hearing back from you. Lauren, isn't that incredible? Somebody losing 120 pounds.
2: It's unbelievable. It's so wonderful to hear. And, you know, it's it's not even, we, you know, we do say it is a lifestyle change because it is, you know, you have to kind of think to change your whole way of thinking about food. But I mean, once you get started and you're on a roll, it's it's just so simple. And you just kind of sit back and you wonder why it took so long (laughs) to try it. (laughs) You
0: know, I, I swear. And I know people, it's hard to imagine this when you're just getting started and it seems so overwhelming, but I swear I, I love my life around food more now than I ever have. And I've been a foodie my whole life. I started cooking when I was a teenager. I love food but I love the way I eat now. I love the way I raise food, I love the way I preserve food, I love what I eat, and it is really, really simple. Once you get into that rhythm and you know what you're buying and you have your recipes that you like to make, and I, I, it is so much easier to eat this way.
2: It really is. You just have to keep it simple, and it really is you know, simple. You know, when you form, you know, a meal on a plate, you have to think about, I try just to keep it simple and think about macronutrients, you know, make sure that you're getting, you know, the right ratio of carbs, proteins, to fats. And once you see how easy that is, you know, you just, you make simple foods, you know, you make a really good protein with salt and pepper. You don't really have to add much to the really good quality meat when you buy it. You keep that stored in your freezer, so you can buy it in bulk, and it's always there. So for dinner, you could say, "Oh, I'm going to go ahead and have steak tonight," and you go pull out a steak or two, you know. And then when you shop at the grocery store, you shop the perimeter, you know, of the market. You don't really have to go in the center aisles pretty much ever. No, you no, know, unless you yeah. eat a couple of spices, basically.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, or a little bit of cheat food. I mean, we all know that. You know, everyone kind of tends to buy something in the center aisle, but you know, you just keep it pretty simple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, like I said, in the beginning, it seems like it's complicated and you seem like you're giving up Mm -hmm. all this stuff, but here's the other thing. And I know I talk about this a lot, but I, I want people to hear this message because I it's been one of the biggest game changers for me. Um, the idea of canning meat. Canning meat has completely <laughs> changed the way I cook and eat, and it, it's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, I And not just meat. Soups, chilies, stews. Um, I just posted um, yesterday, I just finished canning, and I talked about it earlier on the show, my open today. I canned 22 pints of my homemade barbecue sauce, and... This batch is the best barbecue sauce I've ever tasted in my life. I swear I just need to bottle this stuff and sell it. It is so good. Wow. (laughs) And I did 22 pints. I don't even know how to make barbecue sauce. Uh, What's that?
2: I don't even know how to make barbecue sauce. I've never thought about it.
0: So I have two recipes and I'll, I'll share them with you right now. One of them is totally from scratch and it's a lot of work. That's at the end of the summer. I have tons and tons of tomatoes. I have tons of jalapenos. Mm -hmm. I have onions. I have garlic. Um, So I will make a barbecue sauce from scratch, and I'll make tomato sauces and ragus from scratch, starting with tomatoes and onions. But this time I I don't have any tomatoes because I just used up all of my tomatoes making a, a ragu, a meat sauce. And I'm out of barbecue sauce and I'm not going to have tomatoes till September or October. So the, the quick, mm-hmm. easy way, and it really comes out good, there are two really clean brands of ketchup I'm aware of, uh, Primal Kitchen and a company actually called Portland mm-hmm. Ketchup right here in Portland. And I can buy the Portland ketchup in two and a half gallon bag in the box quantity. So it's really nice when I'm doing a big batch. But here's here is the base for one of the best barbecue sauces you're ever going to taste and no sugar. Start with a no sugar ketchup. Uh, The Portland ketchup has a little bit of cane sugar in it, not enough that it bothers me. Um, So you start with ketchup, Mm -hmm. raw apple cider vinegar, black strap molasses, and a little bit of liquid smoke. That's it. Mix those in the right ratio and uh-huh. you have awesome barbecue sauce. Wow. Okay. So what I'm I, definitely gonna try it. What I used to that's so easy and I always have those ingredients on hand. If I don't have canned barbecue sauce that I've made and canned ahead of time, like while I ran out and I hadn't made any yet, I can make a batch of that in like three minutes you know, I just grab the stuff, throw it in a bowl, mix it up, get the taste right. And there's my barbecue sauce. Yeah. I make a little bit just for that Mm -hmm. meal, but I love the fact that, you know, I've got this recipe nailed down. Now that's the base recipe. I like really spicy barbecue sauce. So on top of that base recipe, I added, um, about a pint of a really hot habanero sauce. Now, At the end of the summer, when I make mine from scratch, I'll use my own hot peppers right out of the garden and it will be from scratch. But this was my quick, easy version. So I just bought a a really good habanero hot sauce that I like, and I added about a pint of that to my barbecue sauce. But this batch just came out so good.
2: Huh, love it. I mean, it seems simple enough. It, It really is,
0: yeah. It, um, and, and it's better walk into the grocery store. This makes me insane. Pick up every single barbecue sauce on the shelf. And the first ingredient in all of them is high fructose corn syrup. That's
2: a shame. That's awful. unnecessary.
0: Yeah, it's awful. Um, but it's cheap because the government subsidizes corn. And high fructose corn syrup is dirt cheap. And that's why it's in so many of our packaged products.
2: Yeah, it's true. It makes sense why it's all there. It's just, you know, it's so hard to find any product. You know, that's why I love Primal Kitchen because they pretty much make every condiment that you need. Yep. And it's just done with the right fats. It doesn't have all the added sugar. It's just, he does
0: such a good job. I yeah. Love, I love that um, brand. And I agree. And I've been promoting Primal Kitchen. Um, I've met Mark Sisson, unfortunately, he sold it. But, you know, Kraft so far hasn't totally screwed it up. They've added a lot of new mm-hmm. products. They still are using clean ingredients. They're probably not sourcing as good as Mark was. But it's still by mm-hmm. far your best choice of condiments on the market. They actually make two barbecue sauces. I've tried them. I don't like either one.
2: Yeah, I don't really buy like their sauces per se. I think the only stuff I get, ketchup, mustard, or yeah, I even get some other mustard, but ketchup for sure and the mayonnaise. Yeah, um, because the mayonnaise, yeah, the mayonnaise is, is a no-brainer. Oh, and I like the pepper one. Oh, wait, what is it? Smoked paprika maybe?
0: Uh, the man, he has a really
2: good one. Yeah.
0: Uh, Chipotle a flavored and lime. One. That's
2: it. Chipotle and lime. <laughs>
0: that one is so good. Really good. I know. I, I agree. Know. <laughs> I agree. That one is, that one is awesome. Um, their salad dressings are really good and clean. I just don't really eat salads anymore, so I don't really buy salad dressing.
2: You know, I just, I'm so used to just making my own hey, salad dressing. and
0: I did too. Yeah. Salad so dressing so easy to yeah. make. Yeah.
2: It is. I mean, and it's all, you know, it, even if you are, you know, without ingredients and you don't know where to go for a salad dressing, olive oil and a lemon, it just, it goes a long way. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, you always have olive oil and lemon.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're right. And that makes an excellent dressing. Like I said, I just don't eat salads yeah. much anymore. So I don't make salad dressing. I don't buy salad dressing. Um, I tend to do some slaws and things like that, but I usually use a mayonnaise base for those. Um, well, mm-hmm. we've, um, we've talked ourselves right to the bottom of the hour. We are also doing uh, live Q&A today, right? Yes, we are. Okay. So we're out of calls and we really don't have time to do justice to a, um, you know, a case study. So I think we'll, we'll uh, put that Mm -hmm. one off this week. And since we don't have any more calls, what time do you want to do? I know we usually take a little bit of a break. Do you want to take 15 minutes or a half hour? How do you want to do it?
2: Yeah. 15, 15. Fine. Let's, let's take 15. So that puts us at, the
0: time of it. Uh, 1045 <laughs> here on the west coast all right
2: so that will be
0: 14-
2: 145 on the east
0: coast 145 east coast we will see you live at healthy bring us lots of questions today stump us or try to stump us um, Lauren will be live on the video I'll be in the chat room helping out uh, and it's kind of a health free-for-all. Uh, you can ask more questions about gardening, about making yogurt, about um, anything health-wise you've got. If you've got something going on, somebody you know, whatever, um, hit us up, healthytribe.com, and we will see you there in just a little over 15 minutes from now. Anything you want to close with here, Lauren?
2: No, I think we had a, you know some good testimonials come in, you know, which is really nice to hear. I always love that. It makes my day to hear that people are doing the hard work and seeing, you know, reaping the benefits of it. Um, but no, I look forward to the next show.
0: Excellent. All right. We will, uh, we will see you literally, we will see you here in about 15 minutes, healthytribe.com. We'll see you there. Be safe, be profitable.